Merry Christmas, Hayden Bible Church. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. I know we have an awful lot of visitors. We're, we're so happy that you're here. And we're going to run to the warmth and security of God's Word now. We'll be in Matthew 11 once more this morning. And you think as you sing those Christmas hymns, Christmas has so much to say to us, doesn't it? I want you to think about how you would explain to someone what Christmas has to say to us. What, what, what's it all about? God has kept his promise to send his world and his people a savior and a king. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Some of you kids have this ornament to work on while we're in God's word, and you might even use that sticker, joy to the world. That'd be a good one to start it with for your ornament, wouldn't it? Although there's another one that says the king is born. I think that would be a good one too. Um, The king Jesus has come in the most unlikely way, hasn't he? The incarnation leaves us awestruck. It's indescribable. And we'll try to describe it tonight, but it really is beyond words. Come to Bethlehem and see Christ, whose birth the angels sing, a baby born to man, a baby born into humanity to save us from our sins. And, and, you know, Christmas is not only a declaration of all of this, but Christmas is also an invitation. Let earth receive her king. And we'll just focus on that invitation this morning. Christmas asks you every time its light and joy and sweetness breaks into your winter this time of year, have, have you received heaven's king? Christmas celebrates God coming to mankind, who, men and women like you and me, not in anger and vengeance towards sinners like us, not with disgust or contempt over who we are in light of his holiness and purity. He comes in forgiving love. He, he, he comes in redeeming grace, saving truth, extending to you, to all, as we'll see in the Scripture this morning, a merciful invitation to come to Him. If you remember anything this morning, I pray you remember this. As God has come personally to save man, so man must come to God personally to be saved. And that's a bit stiff, isn't it? Why don't you put, put your name in there? As God has come personally to save Mike, or Vern, Cheryl, Linda, so you must come to God personally to be saved. If you are to benefit at all by Christ's birth, the birth of this Savior who is God's King, you must receive his invitation personally. 
And, I, and I'd never want you to take my word for it. Let's just hear the king's invitation now in Scripture. Matthew 11, where we find Christmas. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And you might wonder, well, what what is this rest of soul? Well, we know what it is to rest, don't we? We know what it is to cease from doing something so that we might be refreshed and revived, renewed. Some of you are able to rest now from your Christmas labors, all of your shopping and your cooking and your you know, stuffing this and that and the other thing. But some of you are not at rest. You're checking your watches even now. You're, well, how late is Rite Aid open? I, we don't know. But there's a, a lot of treasures there. Still got stuff to do, stuff to buy, stuff to clean. You've, you've, you've still got work to do. We know all about rest. If you traveled far to visit family here this year, you know all about Rest stops, whether it's on the highway or, or in the airports, and you, you know all about being refreshed and, and revived, and you, you see people at the airport. Pam and I saw this over Thanksgiving back east in an airport, people throwing water on their faces and, and even brushing their teeth, and I, I personally think some take it way too far. Um, there should be a sign or something, right? Um, trying to freshen up from the, the weariness of, of life's travels. We know all about rest from our weariness, ceasing and, and yet refreshing. And what is this rest of soul? I will give you rest, says the king. Well, well, well it's a ceasing and, and it's a refreshing. Not complicated. We can cease all our labors in trying to please God and yet be refreshed in knowing that God is pleased with us. What a rest this is, knowing that you're clean before God, that you're presentable to him. Do you know this? You've no need to do this or that or even the other thing. To make it so. In fact, your doing this or that or the other thing would, would simply get in the way of it. To know rest in your soul is to be free from guilt, liberated from the power of sin to dominate your life, free from bondage to self-will, free from your own feeble efforts to justify yourself before God. Are you at rest? Have, have, have you received the, the king's invitation? This invitation from King Jesus, and I, and I hope you're staring at this invitation in your Bibles just now. This invitation fulfills the words of the prophet 
God's, uh, God's prophet Jeremiah spoke to his people, promising them the, the blessings of an intimate, personal, covenant rest. Jeremiah 6 says this, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Now think about this. Why do people like you and me, why might we lack rest in our souls? A sense of genuine friendship with God, which is totally different from simply knowing about God. Why might we lack this rest? Well, it's because God has created us with a conscience that testifies against us that we have not and cannot live up to his design for us as his image bearers. We have not always walked in his good ways, have we? By nature in Adam, we don't even ask for the ancient paths. We, we want the new thing. Created to be truthful, we've lied. Created to be pure, we've lusted. Created to worship only God, we've looked to other gods. Manufactured gods. Men and women like us tend to make gods out of our jobs, our homes, our favorite pop stars, sports teams. We'll even worship our own children. The world tells you to worship your kids. You, you, you raise them so that they believe the center of the universe is them, and we destroy them in the process. We'll worship our money, our country, our political party. But by default, we, we tend to worship ourselves, don't we? So that the whole of life in our thinking really revolves around me. Even, even the religious life tends to be that way. And it's a terrible bondage, really. The soul is not satisfied in that. The, the soul is not at rest. It, it always wants more. It's, it's never enough. Have you noticed this? By nature, we're not all that different, really, from the people of Jeremiah's day who heard God's offer of covenant rest, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And, and yet, uh, despite hearing that promise, man responds defiantly. But they said, we will not walk in it. And how do you keep from hearing the testimony against you in the courtroom of your own conscience? Well, we have many ways of soothing our own souls, trying to soothe our own souls, don't you think? One way is to simply deny our rebellion against God. I had a fellow tell me just a couple of days ago, you know, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I've, I've always been a pretty good person. I'm, 
I'm, I, I've always been kind and generous and helpful to others. I've, I've, I've got nothing against God, really, and, and he's certainly got no reason to be at odds with me. And God comes to us in his gospel, and he reminds us that any sin and any imperfection condemns us to judgment. That's God's justice, isn't it? You and I want justice. When, when we're wronged, we want justice. We especially want justice for the other guy. And why are we like that? Because our creator is like that. God is just. He demands justice. Adam and Eve were created in perfection. Not just mostly good. The scripture says very good. In other words, perfect, complete, placed in a perfect world. And their fall from perfection brought the curse of sin that's touched us all. Denial doesn't soothe the soul because you cannot lie to your own conscience. You know, I mentioned earlier religion. What, what, what about religion? What about religious people? Surely their consciences can be soothed. Well, remember here in Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking to religious people, isn't he? Uh, we, we might even say church-going people. I mean, these are the kind of people who would go to the early service on Christmas Eve. <laughs> these religious Jews of Galilee were so privileged to have as their heritage a descendancy from Abraham. Matthew has told us this to have as their heritage the law of Moses and, and its description of the, the nature of God, the perfect holiness that God's people are called to live, reflect. They, they had the great privilege of the ceremonial law, all of it foreshadowing the blood atonement that was to come, the ultimate forgiveness they badly needed from God, the ultimate forgiveness you badly need from God. And yet their religion in and of itself did not and could not soothe their souls. And please don't miss that. The, the, the king's invitation was first spoken to very religious people, church people who still very desperately needed this rest of soul. In fact, Jesus spoke these words to people who knew all about him. Surely some of them had heard the whispers that some 30 years prior, Mary had conceived her firstborn and yet somehow had not been with Joseph. How they must have winked at that wonder in their unbelief. And it's very likely that some of them had heard about the Magi, the kingmakers from the east, who tended not to travel 
the world very discreetly, despite what some of our Christmas cards suggest. They openly and lavishly and probably loudly worshipped the young Christ, heaven's king. Do you know what's astounding to me is that Jesus, you know, when he spoke these words, there were still people living on planet earth who had heard the word on the street that a voice from heaven had declared at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and, and they would have had conversations, you know. Was that God's own voice declaring his pleasure with his son as he identified with the people he'd come to save from their sins. Couldn't, it couldn't have been. Or could it? Matthew comes right in, out and tells us in his gospel that these people knew more about Jesus than, than any other people on, on planet Earth. And, and they knew the sights and the songs, but they did not know God. They didn't know God intimately, personally, and their consciences knew no rest. And, and what does Jesus say to such people? Get away from me. You're in big trouble. No, he says to such people, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In particular, these people needed rest from what they had done with religion. The Jewish scribes and Pharisees had put tremendous burdens on God's people, hundreds and hundreds of religious rules that they were to follow if they were to have any hope of being square with God. And doesn't it seem to you that people still do this today? If I only do this, if I only do that, the word Sabbath, as you know, basically means rest. And God's people were to remember the Sabbath, cease working, be refreshed, keep the Sabbath holy. Not for God, though. For themselves, it was a gift from God to them, this rest. What did they do? They turned it around. They flip-flopped it. Doing what with God's gift of rest? Let's think of, think of this. On the Sabbath, you could write one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but not two, because two could form a word, and then you would be working on the Sabbath. You, you, you shouldn't look at your reflection on the Sabbath, because you might be tempted to pluck out, say, a gray hair, and then you'd be working on the Sabbath. My personal favorite, you could only eat a cooked egg on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for working on the Sabbath by laying that egg. I mean, it, it, was, just, it was just a messed up deal. And th this is what man does with religion. People did this with a straight face. There was nothing funny about it. Working and working and working at their religion to please God. 
the rest gifted to God's people for their benefit, the people had turned into a burden, heavy labor. And, and again, people are, are no different today, and, and it's just as silly, don't you think? If I just go to Mass, if, if, if I just go to church, especially at Christmas time, especially at Easter time, what, what if I go to that building with a cross on it whenever the door's unlocked? I'll pay my dues, and surely God will be pleased. If I, if I just keep going to confession, if I just keep taking communion, if I stop doing as many bad things, do you do bad things? Start doing more good things. By whose definition? Usually yours, right? Surely God will be pleased then. And yet what has Jesus said to God's people already in Matthew's gospel, all of you law keepers, you who are trying to please God with rites and rituals and, and rules, all of that, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Are you perfect? Can religious rules Rites and rituals make you perfect. Now, of course it can. But it can do a fine job of making you a hypocrite, don't you think? What a burden this is. How wearisome this is. I mean, what if, what if somebody actually figured out the, the person you really are? Well, friend, God has that figured out. And he's not repulsed by you. He, he's not shrunk back from you. He says to you in this invitation, come to me. Come to me. I find it very instructive that, are you guys still listening? I find it very instructive that this um, statement, God's standard of perfection, um, you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, um, comes in the context in Matthew 5 of the command to love your enemies, to, to pray for those who, who persecute you. I, w I wonder how we're doing with that, those of us who figure we're mostly good. How are we doing with that one, you Republicans who hate Democrats, and vice versa? You outwardly clean who despise those whose sin is more obvious and seen by all. Can you, can you love those people? Are you praying for those? Will you share Christ with those people? Well, the trouble with it is, is not one of us has met God's standard. And the good news is not that a holy God settles for mostly good. Don't think that. Something pretend. Some kind of pretense. Something that looks kind of Christian, sounds kind of Christian. The good news is that God has provided a means for you to be declared perfect. 
through the perfect life that heaven's king has lived on your behalf. The king who says still today, come to me. All you who are weary, tired of pretending, heavy laden. And so I ask you again, have you received the king's invitation? What was it that the angels proclaimed at Jesus' birth? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. How, how could God be pleased with any of us? Well, this is a scandal, isn't it? Aren't you astonished at this? Well, just keep staring at the invitation. What does it say? What is this good news of great joy that's offered to all people? God has come to man, and God has given a means for him to be truly pleased with you, with me. No pretense, no pretending, no imagining it to be so. He's, he's given us a means for you to know that you're at peace with him and always will be. No work to be done by you. And furthermore, to be assured of your place in his heaven and to be assured of his heaven coming to this earth one day for your benefit. Do you believe this? You really can rest because you've received the irrevocable credit for a righteousness lived out by your king on your behalf. This is why Christ has come. And this king still says today, come to me. As I came to you humble and eager to save, so you come to me humble and eager to be saved. What's that like? Well, think about what happens this evening. Do you open gifts this evening, some of you? All right, forget that then. Think about what happens, think about what happens tomorrow morning. Children waking their parents up. Oh, they're eager. running to the Christmas tree, reckless abandoned. No, no, no hesitation whatsoever, eagerly unwrapping what is freely given to them for love's sake, for love's sake. Nothing in their little hands to offer, just gladly receiving, appreciating, delighting in what is given. And, and friend, that's, that's Christmas. That's, that's how you come to this king. So if you're weary, if you're heavy laden in the ways I've been describing, then rejoice today because you're just the person Jesus has come to save. You're just the one Jesus looks upon and says, hey, come, come to me. Come to me. That last song we sang, Angels from the Realms of Glory, has another 
line in it that we do well to sing. Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains, justice now revokes the sentence. Mercy calls you. Break your chains. The trouble with these Christmas hymns is you can't cut stanzas. They're, 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 they're a complete unit, aren't they? All of the best Christmas songs are this way. They preach the good news to us in, 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 its, in its fullness. And I'm, I'm not talking about jingle bells and, and deck the halls and all of that stuff. Those songs are fine, and, and they're even fun but, but, I, but I urge you this year, don't, don't settle for, for fine and fun. What, what you need this year is faith. Faith is the hand that grasps and receives this, this invitation from the king. Think about that line I just read to you. What, what, is, what does it even mean? I mean, why, why would... Why would the hymn writer include that on, on such a glad occasion? Well, it tells us that our sin, our imperfection, in light of God's infinite holiness, dooms us to an eternity in hell. And, and you're not meant to look away from that too quickly. I know we want to. And some of you are thinking that right now. Good heavens, it's Christmas, and he's, and, he's, and he's going on about this. Doomed for guilt to endless pains, but then justice now revokes that sentence. That's Merry Christmas. Justice now revokes the sentence. How, how can God's justice be satisfied if in his justice he must condemn sin? Well, this king who came as a baby, now a man, here in Matthew 11, lived out in his humanity the perfect, holy, righteous life you have not lived. I have not lived. And and he took that life to Calvary's cross where he shed his blood, the blood that was foreshadowed in all of those Old Testament sacrifices. Heaven's king died the only death that would satisfy God's justice for your sin, for my sin. And his body was placed in a tomb that is still empty today. He's risen, alive, this king so that this world has an ascended king, uh, the, uh, the man who is God named Jesus, ruling from heaven today. And he's coming again, our king. As soon as his church has passed out all his invitations. So please know this. As our hearts warm at the image of the incarnation, the, the, the shepherds and the, the angels and the manger and the star and, and all of that. The wonder of it all, that baby is now a man seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things. 
Jesus has already said that in the text we've been squeezing here in Matthew 11 this month. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's why this invitation is also a command. You need to know that. Come to me, says the king. God has given his people a king and a kingdom for his glory. And just, th- just think about this as you're celebrating Christmas this weekend. Th- there's a day coming when the king will return bodily, physically, visibly, as, as touchable as a baby in a manger, as, as tangible as a rough wooden cross, as visible as a tomb carved of stone, still empty, and he'll come once more in person to rule this world in righteousness. Do you ever think about that? Living in a world where everything that's crooked has been made straight, where everything dirtied has been made clean, where even the best things that you look upon on this planet right now have been touched by the curse of sin? As if God says to even the beauty we behold, wait, wait till you see what it's going to look like. And your share in all of this is, is grasped by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by doing stuff for God, not by promising to stop doing stuff that offends God. Though, when you come to the king on his terms, you'll get a new heart that wants to do both. Just imagine what it would be like. You still with me? Just just imagine what it would be like to get an invitation, let's say from the president of our blessed nation. It just showed up in your mailbox. There it is. It's from the office of the president of the United States of America. How you might stare at that if it were from the king of England. So you don't have a queen anymore. It's a king. How you would stare at that invitation. How does he even know about me? Is this for me? It can't be. And you'd look at that invitation and you'd look for the fine print, wouldn't you? What's the catch? Catch. What's the catch? It means there must be some mistake. And I want you to just stare at the king's invitation like that just, just, just a bit longer. Is it really for you? Doesn't it clearly say, come to me, all you who are weary. All are invited. All souls who crave rest are invited to come. And, and you stare at this invitation and you just keep staring at it and, and you notice the absence of, of any fine print. There, there hasn't been some mistake. That This is for you. Its, it's beauty is in its simplicity, not, not in its complexity. The king's invitation is to come to a person to Jesus. 
No one else, no, nothing else, just, just Jesus. Uh, not a church, not a, not a denomination, uh, not even a plan of salvation, though God has planned an eternity past for your salvation. You, ju- you just come to Jesus. This is not an invitation to a belief system found on the shelf of all belief systems. The, the one you prefer. Don't think of that. No, you, your part is just to come to Jesus. This invitation calls you to a person, this Jesus, this king who, who I pray you're hearing through his word this morning. And, and, and what is he saying? He's, he's just saying, come to me. And you keep staring at the invitation. And you notice that Jesus is not even inviting you to an experience. Don't think that. Though to know him is to experience inexpressible joy and freedom and rest of soul. But, but you're not saved by feeling a certain experience. Don't get hung up with that. Fallen people like us get confused about how, uh, how misleading our feelings can be sometimes. Jesus first spoke these words to religious people who felt within themselves that they were right with God simply because of who they descended from. In our confusion and, and in our pride, we we turn away from this gospel simplicity that it's got to be more complicated than that. And so we make it so. We, we prefer to have a list of rules we can keep. We, we prefer to have a set of doctrines we can believe. And those things are important. Doctrine, knowing more and more truth about God, uh, obeying that truth, changing, feeling, you know, um, great joy, great hope. But those are all things that God does to us, aren't they? Our part is simply to come to a person who is the king, come to Jesus. And I want you to notice with me that there are actually three aspects to this one invitation. And, and, and don't get distressed because we're almost done. I don't mean that I just finished part one and, and there's two more to go. I can see that on your faces and you're, and you're, and you're thinking again of the, of the Rite Aid thing, aren't you? Um, as far as I know, it's open quite late. There's three aspects to this come to me invitation. And, and Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of the great paradoxes of Scripture, really, because the king's invitation is the promise to come to him, to have a burden removed, and yet um, you place upon yourself a different kind of yoke. But what does Jesus mean by this? Take my yoke upon you. 
Well, it's to do with this word rest once again. Remember, the rest Jesus invites us to is not merely to cease from doing stuff, thinking it's going to please God. This is a rest that is both a ceasing and a refreshing, a reviving, a renewing. Jesus himself calls this regeneration. He calls it being born again. To come to Christ is to be dethroned as the king of your own life. And it's to have the true king, Christ, enthroned there instead. So that you're now yoked to him. The one who loves you more than you love yourself. Because he loves you with a perfect love. And you're now irreversibly attached to him. Never to be cast off. Never to be separated from his love. From his grace, from his mercy, from his forgiveness. You say, well, what about the days when I don't feel like it? Even those days. What about the days when I I really don't deserve it? You haven't deserved it a day of your life. So if you ever feel that way, repent of that. To be yoked to Christ is to have your soul refreshed on an ongoing basis. Not just around this time of year. The happiest life, the most purposeful life, the life lived toward eternity in your king's presence is a life spent yoked to his presence now. And you do get physically weary. And, and you do sometimes feel burdened with the types of things that people living in a fallen world experience. We grieve loss. Many of you are grieving loss this year. We battle temptation, every last one of us, and yet we are constantly being rejuvenated, are we not? We're constantly being renewed by the one we are yoked to. Does this make it any sense? Just think about this. The, the, the people in Jesus' day knew all about um, yokes. Most of us don't. We think it's a grocery store. <laughs> Something in an egg. Jesus' neighbors knew all about yokes. They, they knew that a young calf was yoked to the strong, wise, capable one because the the young one had to learn submission. It had to learn that it is not the one steering the labor. It it, it had to learn that it was not even the one providing the strength for the labor. You're hearing this. The strong, wise, capable one is doing all the heavy lifting. And the job of the young one was simply to trust and follow the capable one. This is what it is to be yoked to Jesus. This is what it is to be a Christian. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and and learn from me. Our king is a a kind and and generous instructor. You might be here this morning thinking, well, I I just don't think I know enough. 
I, I just don't think I've figured enough of this out. Well, be encouraged this morning. He will teach you. Learn from me, he says. You, you come to him with what you know. And as we trust in him to receive his salvation, so we trust in him to lead us along that, that narrow way that leads to life. He'll lead us at times even through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet we learn to trust him day by day, don't we? Where he goes, we're to go. Where he doesn't go, we're not to go. What he doesn't do, we don't do. What he does, with his strength, we do. What he ordains, we yield to. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's not that complex, is it? And we learn from him that our ultimate rest lies just around the corner. I mean, there's an ultimate Christmas morning coming. Do you know that? God has given us a king and a kingdom. And those are not just words. Usually, at Christmas time, we look back at the Old Testament prophecy about this, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Or we look around at the present realities of our salvation. We're doing that a bit today. But there's a passage in Isaiah. We'll sing it in a moment. But it actually tells us of Christmas past, present, and future. Just, just listen to this. Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. That, that's what's coming. A world ruled by King Jesus for his people's benefit. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. There will be an ongoing expansion, deeper and deeper realities and joys of the king's rule upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Think about what you do when you're zealous for something. Are you successful? Maybe so, maybe not. Now think of God's zealousy. Zealousness. Do you, do you think that he accomplishes what he intends to purpose? Do you think if God is zealous to save you, he will? Do you think if God is zealous to forgive you in Christ, he will? Do you think if God is zealous 
to keep you yoked to himself, insufficient as you are, that he will. Do you imagine God zealous to reclaim his world and his people for his glory is going to accomplish this? Of course. Of course. And so he comes today and he says to us in his word, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the glory of your gospel in your son Jesus. We, we, we thank you that you have sent us heaven's king. Not to know us from a distance. Not to know us tentatively. But Lord, to enter into our lives personally, irrevocably. And Lord, I just pray that you would stir hearts, that you would stir consciences this morning. Lord, we, we have heard these things before, and yet we've been reminded that there is a vast gap between knowing and possessing these truths for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give what only you can give among us, that you would give saving faith in Christ this day. And, Lord, would you encourage us as your people, those whom you've brought to yourself and then given the great privilege of, of handing out our king's invitations. Lord, we want to be found faithful. And so we pray that as we are yoked to you, we would depend upon your strength, that we would live in the direction of your leading. Lord, that we would bask in the reality of your great love for us as your people. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.